Welcome, everyone. Good to be with you all again. As we especially welcome those who are visiting our church. This is our family. We gather week in and week out to worship Jesus, as you have seen and heard firsthand. We worship Him for who He is and all that He's done for us. Amen? And we have much to offer up in thanks and praise, for He is good and faithful to us all. This is a big week, isn't it? Many across the nation graduating with diplomas, degrees, certificates of all kinds, commencing into new stages of life, work, maturity. Well, baptized saints, you too are commencing into a new stage of life maturity, and purpose. Amen? Congratulations. Congratulations. I really mean it. You have come to faith in Jesus Christ. You have come to believe in Him, and in so doing, you've received forgiveness of sin and everlasting life. Hallelujah. There is no greater, hear me out, no greater accomplishment to be found on the face of this earth than to become a child of God. If you agree, let's hear someone say amen. Amen. No greater accomplishment. You have come to receive a living hope. You have been born again into a living hope. No matter what happens to you or around you in this life, you have hope now. You have received an imperishable inheritance kept in heaven for you. It will never fade away. Your salvation is secure. But wait, there's more. Since you have received now a living hope and the richest inheritance of all eternal life with God, you now have joy. True fullness of joy. Peter says a joy that is inexpressible. Too big for words. A few weeks ago, when we were just finishing the Ezra-Nehemiah series, right after preaching on Nehemiah 12, for those who remember, remember Bakbukayah, the Lord pours out judgment upon himself and joy upon us. After the service, I was so impacted, one of our sister from the body here came up to me and said, the the Lord pours out. Yes. Yes. I said, yes. That's it. Joy inexpressible. This is yours now. Amen? This is yours now. What an accomplishment. Thank you, Jesus. 
If you are a Christian in this room right now, would you join me in offering up sounds of praise and thanksgiving to God? Hallelujah. He is so, so good, and His steadfast love endures forever. Consider today's message a kind of commencement speech. For those who have been baptized today, and for us all who've been baptized into Christ Jesus, we've been studying 1 Peter, and today Peter has a vital word for us to persevere well in view of our calling as Christians in this life. What we've seen thus far in the first two chapters is that God first calls us into His family and then He sends us out. In fact, He never calls us in without sending us out. That's a beloved quote from the late, great Tim Keller. The call of Christ is to come in and then go out. Remember, earlier in this chapter, too, he calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We become his precious stones, together his spiritual house, and then he sends us out to be the light of the world, his agents of hope, peace, and reconciliation in the name of Jesus. Now, over the last few weeks, what we've also seen is that this is no easy call hmm? to go out. When you hear what it consists of, it'll make many reconsider. So, let's see now what Peter has to say to us about our call as Christians and how to embrace it with a proper perspective. Family, we need this word. We need it. Let me pray, and then I'll ask the ushers to come forward and pass out Bibles for those who would like to read along in person. We'll have the scripture up on the text. Let me ask the Lord to... Bless his word. Lord Jesus, we come to you. Our hearts are heavy. We come to you today to find rest. We celebrate this morning life in Christ, new life in Christ. Hallelujah. Lord, now as we continue to press on in this life that you've called us to, encourage our hearts in your word. We want to be like you, Jesus who for the joy set before you endured the cross. Encourage our hearts with your great promises and the imperishable riches that you've given us in yourself. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You can read along up on the screen. The ushers will be passing around Bibles if you'd like to read along in person. First Peter chapter 2. We'll be finishing the chapter this morning in uh, verses 21 through 25. I'm going to start by reading just the first verse, 21. It's a big one. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For 
You have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. For you have been called for this purpose. Okay. That's a big statement. That's a big statement. What does the call on the Christian life consist of? This points back to the previous two verses from last week. Verses 19 and 20, so I'll read them. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated for it, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Peter says, to this you've been called. He makes clear. Now, we saw last week that he's speaking specifically to slaves in a, in, in a circumstance that they cannot change. But what we see here in this chapter, is, uh, contextually with the framework and also where we're going this morning, is that he will actually zoom out and we see this principle applying to all Christians. In other words, the call on our lives is to live righteously before God in every circumstance. So doing what is right, Peter says, and suffering unjustly. That's the call on our lives, to suffer unjustly. You want in? Makes you look at the recently baptized a bit differently now, doesn't it? Young students? Yes. Courageous warriors? Most certainly. They must be. Because the Christian life is lived out on a battleground, not a playground. And they've counted the cost. You've heard it yourself. Peter says, we've been called for this purpose, to suffer unjustly. Because, he says in verse 21, Christ Jesus suffered for you and left you an example so you can follow in his steps. Okay, so this is the why and the how of our calling. Why should we endure unjust suffering? Because Jesus suffered unjustly for us. How do we endure unjust suffering? Jesus left us an example. In other words, substitution and illustration. 
I accredit John Piper for helping me see these two categories. I think it's helpful. These together make up the call of Christ on our lives. Substitution and illustration. We'll see how Peter explains these two aspects of the Christian call in the verses ahead. Let's read on verses 22 and 23, but I'm going to start at 21 because it flows. So 21 through 23. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. You see here? Illustration. Peter saw firsthand how Jesus endured unjust sufferings while always doing what is right before God. He saw it firsthand. Now, the grammar here indicates that these verbs, while being reviled, while suffering, kept entrusting, show that Peter is likely not only referring to how Jesus endured the cross, which is certainly here, primarily here. But the grammar here indicates that Peter is, mo is more so referring to Jesus' way of life throughout his earthly ministry. His posture in this way was continual as he faced continual opposition. Peter begins here to reference Isaiah 53. Maybe you picked up on it. That's why we have all caps reference there. Isaiah 53 is that famous prophecy of the suffering servant, which we'll see Peter continue to draw from at several points in the remaining verses. Peter says, in the face of unjust suffering, Jesus never sinned, no deceit in his mouth, no retaliation, no reviling in return, no threats. Though they were mocking God himself to his face, not even a, you know who you're talking to? You better be grateful I wasn't the one appointed to Messiah. I would have failed you miserably. Miserably. He felt no need to justify himself. He was unshakably secure in who he is, whose he is, and where he's going. Single-minded obedience. Looking to his Father in heaven. He entrusted his circumstances and his unjust sufferings over to the justice of God. Vengeance is his, God says. He will repay in due time. God's words. Jesus 
was sure of it. Now, Peter says, he left us this example. This is a snapshot from Scripture here of his example. And what we also know from Scripture is there is much more to look at regarding his example of enduring unjust sufferings. What I want to draw your attention to this morning is the meaning of this Greek word originally used for example. It's actually the only place in the New Testament this particular word is used. It comes from an age-old practice in which children learn how to write by tracing over a pattern of letters given to them. Look and learn. Look and learn. That's what this means. So Peter's saying to us, likewise, we pattern our lives on the pattern of life that Jesus has given us by his example. Look and live. Look and live. Look very closely and live faithfully. Follow him very closely. This is not just a model for us to consider. No, no. This is what it means here to follow him in his very steps. Jesus says, this is the call of the Christian life, to endure unjust sufferings. And if that doesn't sit well with you, it's understandable. It is. It makes sense. Why it wouldn't sit well? It is a bit ironic that Peter is the one teaching us this weighty truth. Because when Peter first heard of this concept, he rejected it flat out. At the pivotal point in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, where Jesus asks his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up to declare boldly, You are the Christ. Mark records this in the following verses. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. 
Oh, so now we know where Peter learned this. It was when he was called Satan by God. That was probably a tough day for him. But he learned something that day of infinite value. Peter, the rock of the church, rejects this notion of a suffering Messiah. Nonsense. That's offensive. A stumbling block. What we see here in Mark 8 is the genuine hearts of the first followers of Jesus. I don't want a suffering Lord. Because if you suffer, I know what that means. I'm going to have to suffer too. We don't want that at all. I reject it. Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. If you try to stop the Christ from suffering and rejection, you try to stop the Christ from being Christ. And that's the work of the devil. Jesus says, I must suffer. I'm interacting here with Dietrich Bonhoeffer's classic book, The Cost of Discipleship. I highly recommend it for anyone who wants to really follow Jesus. Beware. He doesn't hold back. Bonhoeffer says, in response to Peter's rebuke, Jesus must therefore make it clear beyond all doubt that the must of suffering applies to his disciples no less than to himself. Just as Christ is Christ only in virtue of his suffering and rejection, so the disciple is the disciple only in so far as he shares his Lord's suffering and rejection and crucifixion. Discipleship means, he says, adherence to the person of Jesus and therefore submission to the law of Christ, which is the law of the cross. The must is inherent in the promise of God so that Scripture will be fulfilled. Jesus Christ must suffer and be rejected in order to save. He must suffer unjustly. Likewise, Christians must endure unjust sufferings in order to live rightly before God. Unjust sufferings are not dreadful obstacles in the Christian life. This will change your perspective. They're not accidents either. They are the very means through which we receive our inheritance. You are not going to hear this message at graduation. But you also not hear of a remedy 
for suffering that lasts. Not apart from Christ, you won't. God is making us like Christ the same way he made Christ the Christ. Through suffering and humiliation, we enter into glory and exaltation. A servant is not greater than their master. To try to remove unjust suffering from the lives of Christians is to try to take Christ out of what it means to be Christian. Get behind me. For this purpose, we've been called, Peter says. Remember this, family. Remember this when you see what appears to be zealous Christians across the country seething in anger with their fists clenched, ready to fight any and all opposition. Suffer never! Thinking that's how we persevere. Remember this while at work, struggling with those toxic people or boss that has a special eye to inflict pain on you. Remember this at school when your fellow students mock you for who you are. Remember this in your homes. That's a tough one. Remember this when family members oppose you for your faith. Remember this when your heart says to all of the above, fight, pull out your sword, say something back. Remember this, family. That is not the way of the cross. Look to Jesus, family. Sheathe your sword. Shall we not drink of this cup that the Father has given us? Jesus has left us a great illustration to follow. Christians live for Christ through the lens of the cross. We look to him and we follow him. In his very steps, through all of life's circumstances. And as we follow him faithfully, we illustrate for the world the glorious gospel of Jesus. You see how he works? It's marvelous. Let's read on verses 24 and 24, 25 and see how the substitution of Jesus helps us live out our call. Verse 24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. 
Okay, so this is the connection to verse 21. For this purpose you were called to suffer unjustly because Christ suffered for you. Here in verses 24 and 25, we see this substitutionary death of Christ serving as the basis for our call. His death for our life. This is the great exchange. It's beautiful. You want to see this and cling to this one. Your life depends on it. While we were his enemies, dishonoring him in our self-centeredness, mocking him in the worship of ourselves, deserving of his wrath, we were the guilty sinners. He was the innocent righteous one. It was him who bore our sins on himself on the cross so that we would be forgiven of our sin and receive his righteousness. Amen? He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ. By his wounds, we are healed. Healed from our corruption and death. Healed from self-preservation. Look at the connections. For you were like sheep, continually straying. Peter says, that's what your life was like in sin. Looking to satisfy yourself in your own way, your own life, your own hands, justifying yourself at every turn, fighting to the end in your pursuit of security and satisfaction. That's the life lived out in sin, like sheep straying off on their own. But now, Peter says, by believing in him, you've turned from your ways, returned back to your God and maker, Jesus Christ. You have found the fountain of life. Now you have satisfaction. You have security. You don't need to look to other places or in other ways to survive and prosper. You don't need to find fulfillment in the pleasures of this world. Money, sex, power, beauty, relationships, achievement, toys, and other things. You're satisfied. You don't need to fight anymore, Peter says, for anything other than keeping your eyes on him. Your trustworthy shepherd who promises you good. He is the one in whom our souls find greatest delight. Amen? Our heavenly guardian and overseer, we are kept secure in him. Family, this is a liberating paradox that we must understand. Remember Jesus' words to Peter after rebuking him in Mark 8. He looks to the crowds and says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
For whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. You see? The more we strive to attain our own security, our own joys, our own life, the way we want it, Jesus says, you'll lose it all. Sooner or later, you will lose it all. But those who surrender their lives to Christ Jesus will receive fullness of life far more abundantly than you could ever have attained or imagined on your own. He says, come to me and you will find yourself. You understand what he's saying? The more you look to him, the more you find yourself. The more you look to yourself, the more you lose yourself. You will definitely not hear that in the world. And in fact, what you see only affirms this truth. Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, that may sound like doom and gloom, but was anyone mourning at the sights and sounds of baptism this morning? Oh no, we rejoice because yes, they've come to Christ and indeed have died to their old selves. No, they are not dead. Far from it. They are alive now, filled with everlasting life. Their old selves has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer they who live, but Christ who lives in them. They have died to their former ways of sin and can live for righteousness now. They can live like Christ now. You see, the call of Christ is actually a call to life. It's a call to live in freedom, security, and true, unshakable joy. Christians live for Christ through the lens of the cross. Peter says, it's the only way to see clearly enough in navigating through this difficult life following in the steps of Jesus. We must look to and through the cross in all of life's circumstances. Bonhoeffer suggests that the cross that we all must carry is the means in which we identify with Jesus in his sufferings. Now, we all know that our lots in life vary and therefore our sufferings will vary. But Bonhoeffer suggests that there are two ways in which the cross is laid on every Christian in the same way. And I agree with him. 
at least two ways we all share the same cross laid upon us. First is the call to abandon our old allegiances and attachments to the world. That's a cross. In this, we must die. And two, we live. We live like Christ as sin bearers. We all share that cross. In the same way that Christ bore our sins on the cross for our salvation, substitution, we too must bear the sins of others, forgiving them as Christ Jesus has forgiven us. That is our cross to bear. We die to ourselves and live for Him as sin bearers like Him. The way of the cross is the way of forgiveness. It is how we illustrate the substitution of Jesus for the sins of the world so that some would glorify God on the day of visitation. You see the connection? It's not easy. But we're not alone, right? He gives us Himself. He is with us. He never leaves us. His Spirit indeed lives in us and we have the power of the cross with us his gospel we have the strength enough to bear up under these sorrows and press on living rightly before God in this most difficult life that's hope family that's hope that's love he is with us. We can know Him fully as we identify with Him in His sufferings and resurrecting life. Amen? It's a hard message, but like I said, it's a word that we need because we have got to find a way to navigate through this life as Christians and He's laid it out for us. He has paved the way. We follow Him. Amen? This week, on Tuesday, a brother reached out to me and asked if we could talk. He had a personal matter. He shared with me the, a difficult situation that he was in, just popped up in his life. He shared with me that his mother just informed him that his uncle was very ill in the hospital. She asked him if he would commit to praying for his uncle. Then he shared with me that his uncle lives to mock God. And the last time he saw him, he spent the time mocking God and mocking him for his faith in God. And he says, there's more. This uncle inflicted 
great evil and pain upon me many years ago. So my question is this, how, how can I pray for a man like this filled with such evil? I said, oh brother, I am so sorry for your pains. This is just four days ago. What a difficult place to be in. I said, can I share something with you that I've been meditating on this week? I took him to this very passage. And just like that, he said, okay, I see. I know what I need to do. I have to go now. I just pulled up at a park. I need to pray. I said, hold on, brother. B before you go, I am humbled right now. I said, that you embrace this call like that is incredible. I said, brother, this is it. This is the heart of discipleship. Bonhoeffer says it like this. Suffering is the badge of true discipleship. Suffering is the badge of true discipleship. I said, brother, this is it. You will certainly receive commendation from the mouth of Jesus one day for this. Press on. Family, you are getting this. You are getting this. Press on. Fight the good fight of faith. After last week's message, when we invited you to come forward for prayer, many came forward asking prayer for these very circumstances, trying to endure the various kinds of unjust sufferings that you're facing. Hallelujah. Wear your badges proudly. Make him known. You're doing it. Press on, family. Fight the good fight. Look to Him and live. Hallelujah. Amen. Christians live for Christ through the lens of the cross. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, You are so good to us. Help us to see and behold Your marvelous beauties. Lord, we... Think about our calling, and it is not easy. But when we look to what you have done for us, how much you have given us and assured for us, Lord, we see that we can do it. As we come to you, Lord, we see that your burden is light, your yoke is easy because you are the one who carries these burdens for us, with us, until the day that we are with you forever and ever. 
Lord Jesus, we live in a world that says eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Would you help us, Lord, to not resist evil people, to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, that we may be sons and daughters of you, O God. For those who do not know you, who do not have hope, everlasting in this life and the life to come, Lord. Awaken faith in their heart. Help them to see and behold that, that the weightiness of this cost fades quickly compared to the immeasurable glories and riches of knowing you and living with you now and forever. Awaken faith, strengthen our faith, fill us up and send us out, Lord, that we would make your name known in our communities and the world around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Be blessed, family, this week. Fight the good fight of faith. Be sure to mingle and grab some pretzels in the lobby afterward. <laughs>